1: This morning, the Ford government announced the launch of an independent commission into Ontario's long-term care system beginning in September. And as we just heard, there are no details yet on terms of reference, membership, leadership of the commission and reporting Timelines, And as you heard in Bob's news, the rationale for this mechanism is that time is of the essence. So the opposition has been calling for a full public inquiry, and it is adamant that this is not good enough. Here is NDP leader Andrea Horvath. Families who have lost loved ones, nurses, and
2: PSWs who have put their health and safety on the line, won't be heard in another backroom process. Past public inquiries have been called following a single death. Over 1,300 seniors have died in long term care. Why does the Premier think they don't deserve a full, independent
1: public inquiry? Okay, uh, so frankly, speaking for myself, I'm, I'm not even entirely sure what the difference is between a commission and inquiry and whether that difference makes a difference. So let's try to decipher that and get into that criticism without getting. Too far into the weeds. Let's bring in Jane Mita, staff lawyer and institutional advocate at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly, and Marissa Lennox, chief policy officer at CARP. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon, Libby. Okay, Marissa. First of all, what's your reaction to this? Well, I'm not sure. I I think I might
3: be in the same boat as you. Insofar as I'm not, I'm not fully aware of the many. Look. I guess what I would say is I don't really care to get into the politics of disputing a public inquiry versus an independent commission. There are likely pros and cons of both, the latter being that it's expedited. Um, Frankly, with what we've seen occur in long-term care settings, I'm not sure a two-year inquiry is the best answer either. We don't exactly have the luxury of time given the volume of people entering these facilities daily. Now, you know, Ontario is the first province to announce a wide-scale investigation into long-term care, and I think should be applauded for that. They know a commission, you know, will have some landmines for them, and so this isn't without risk for them. Uh, at the same time, what I would say is I would caution against any process that takes time and costs money, and that'll reveal much of what we already know. There are things that we need to do now, and there are things that we need to do to future-proof long-term care, and a lot of that, as I said, we do know. Staffing, training, equipping homes with ample supplies of PPE, looking at the infrastructure and in the buildings themselves. So if the outcome of this process is that it comes up with a series of recommendations that the government will actually implement swiftly, then I think that that's a good thing.
1: Well, uh, one of the things that I'd like to ask the minister, and I hope that we will have the opportunity to talk to her uh, in the coming days, is, you know, you're launching this in September, but is there anything you're going to do beforehand? Because as you say, Marissa, you know, we know what the problems are. Jane? Jane?
2: So yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of different things here. Um, launching a commission does not preclude the government from moving ahead with things that we already know. Um, this is not to—I mean, there's there's lots of things that we do already know. We know, and we've known for many years. For example, that four bedrooms in long-term care are not the way to go. So four people in we a already bedroom. Know that.
1: Pardon? Four people in a bedroom. Four
2: people yeah. in a bedroom. Yeah, sorry. And so we know that that's you know that's been a problem. So I think the government can you know start to move towards the issue of how do we get rid of those. I don't think that um, a, uh, an inquiry or a commission you know precludes them from doing many of the things that we already know. What a what a commissioner inquiry should be looking at are the things that we don't know. So why one home, for example, which is an older home that has you know the four bed uh basic room accommodation. Why did that home have, you know, the 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 virus go through the entire home where another one had a person and it didn't go through the home? Like what are the differences? What what are those things that are the lessons that we can learn? And, you know, between what is a commission and an inquiry, I'm not exactly sure what's in the government's head at the moment. My understanding would be this would still be a public inquiry, but what he's talking about is not having potentially having um, public hearings, perhaps, into this. So it's not quite sh- clear legally what they're talking about. I think public um, hearings are crucial in this, and it, it's not the whole part of it. And there will be lots of different parts of an inquiry, and that it depends on how the government sets it up. But if you just have a commission that's set up by the government and they appoint people and, um, you know, don't have public hearings, you lose the ability to certainly have public scrutiny, and you also lose the ability to have many of the public um, uh, participate. So uh, residents, um, families, they will not be there. It will be very institution heavy, and that's a problem. And we saw that at the police um, inquiry into the Wettlaufer murders. Um, having the other voices there are, is extremely important and being able to probe those questions as to what happened. Um, really, it needs to be. We need to have hearings, and I agree. There is issues around time for sure, but I think there's many parts of this, and increase can have different parts and have you know interim reports that they put out with the things that we know and that can be easily done on sort of that paper review. And then there's the part that has to go public.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Marissa, do you agree that having a public hearing part of it is is crucial? There's no question, and I completely
3: agree with everything Jane has just said around the need to have public hearings.
1: Do we know for certain that there won't be public hearings no we know nothing they okay. <laughs> i mean my, my take on it is that they they were under all this pressure uh to announce so they announced before they had all their ducks in a row in terms of of the shape of the thing i i i'm imagining that they are in the midst of figuring that out
3: well you know what look i think at the end of the day, I completely agree. I think public hearings are, are critical, that residents and families are heard. Um, the fact is, we really haven't placed a high priority of providing care in nursing homes. And so I'm glad to see the government taking steps in, in this direction.
1: Okay, I'm uh, just looking up the, the Ontario Long-Term Care Association came out with a statement. Oh, and where is my statement? Aha, yes. Uh, So, and this is the group that represents, among others, for-profit homes. And they are looking for a bunch of things they say they need in the interim. So, interim investments for older homes to enable infection control, more supplies, continued human resources flexibility. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, I think it's Jane, and I think that the continued resource um,
2: flexibility is what we saw in the legislation. and something that the, uh, or that organization has been asking for for a long time, which is to have... Uh, the ability to hire people to work in the homes to provide some level of care. And it's very unclear what that aren't even PSWs. And that's something that, you know, certainly our office has not been supportive of. We think that if you're providing care. You should have that minimal uh, amount of training. Um, but that's what I'm, that's what I would take from that. And also the ability to have, um, and to get rid of the, uh, 24 seven RN requirement. And those are things that they were asking for prior to. Uh, all of this happening.
1: Uh, right. What about uh, does flexibility? I mean, the government has banned uh, workers from from working in more than one home for the moment. But uh, does this demand for flexibility mean, yes, let them let them work in more than one place like they used to? That I can't say. I,
3: I would have a hard time believing the government would would reverse that decision given all of the challenges affiliated with it.
1: Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So, so, uh, Marissa, are you uh, leery of that ask? Continued human resources flexibility. Well, uh,
3: Assuming what it means. I, again, I, I'm not fully aware. I can't speak exactly to to what exactly they mean by that. But I think um, the need for increased human resources and an appropriate mix. Of RNs, LPNs, PSWs to provide the kind of care that seniors deserve in long-term care is certainly something that needs to be implemented immediately, um, and 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 can't be. We can't we can't wait for a public inquiry or or a commission to come out and tell us that that's what we need when, when we do already know that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I would like a little more clarity on that as well. I'd like to hear from you on your thoughts on that, what has to be in that commission to make it worthwhile. 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 I am on the line with Marissa Lennox, who is the Chief Policy Officer at CARP, and Jane Medes, who is a lawyer with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly, and I'd like to bring in Teresa Armstrong, who is the Ontario NDP Home Care and Long-Term Care Critic. Hi, Teresa. Hi,
4: good afternoon.
1: Okay, so uh, your leader blasted the creation of this commission. Uh, uh, The fact is that we don't really know anything about what it's going to look like. Uh, What's the problem with it, in, in your view?
4: Well, I think there has to be um, a real transparency around, a transparency around um, the questions that we've had um, for long-term care, quite frankly, for decades, under uh, successive governments. Um, as well as going forward, you know, this is a very, obviously a very serious time, and the pandemic has only revealed the major cracks that were there already. and and really brought them to the surface. And so, you know, the public, and I have talked to many people over the years, as well as, um, you know, trying to lobby the government to look at the long-term care system um, in a way that's actually gonna find and fix the problems. And this uh, commission, this government commission, you know, there's, there's just so many holes in a process like that, and it doesn't give families um, the direct answers that they're looking for. So a public transparency, uh, you know inquiry. this is an opportunity that we've had before under the wet law for inquiry. We were as the NDP, we were calling for an open phase two into that public inquiry to find and fix the systemic problems that was ignored. Now we're in a position under a conservative government with this pandemic. Uh, you know, thousands of lives have been lost. We know that, you know, the highest percentage of them, um, of course, we're in long-term care homes, and the elderly are the most vulnerable. And we need to make sure we can address the problem so that going towards the future, going to the future, we're not repeating the same mistakes.
1: Okay, Teresa, uh, thanks very much. I'm going to let you go. Your line is uh, very noisy, but okay. thank you very much for Sorry your... About that. Thank you very much for your input um, uh, Marissa uh, from your view, what does the inquiry have to have to make it robust? Well
3: um, I think we need to take an honest look at the buildings the buildings themselves in the wet law inquiry you know we looked at we looked at the infrastructure, of the space but we need to take I think a hard look at what some of these older buildings look like. It makes no sense that there are four bedroom wards, for example, um, entire floors or, or, or maybe more like entire wings are limited to one bathroom. So I think we really need to take a, a good look at that. And then, you know, to what Jane said earlier as well is why did some perform better than others? Why were some homes completely unscathed and others had very high death tolls? And what are some of the challenges that they experienced? Um, you know, there was a star report that came out, um, I don't know, a week or two ago, that said that people in for-profit long-term care homes had a death rate four times higher than not-for-profit. So I think that'll be one of the things that will also likely be examined in all of this. Uh,
1: yeah, I was just about to ask about that, uh, Jane. And, and you know, I'm when I think about what the problems might be. I don't know if the conservative government is willing to go down that road comparing for-profit to not-for-profit. How important is that? Well, I think that it's, a, it's one of the key issues. Um, definitely
2: the issue of whether or not we want to um, allow profit off of our health care system in the manner that we have been allowing that. Um, there's, you know, different uh, levels of profit, there's different things going on in in the for-profit sector, and I think it has to be looked at very carefully. Um, You know, uh, these companies are not going into long-term care out of altruistic reasons, they're going in to make money. And is that something that's allowed? And we have to look at, you know, something... uh, like what's happening in the for-profit sector versus what's happening in some of the cities like Toronto and Ottawa and the big cities that actually add millions of dollars to long-term care to ensure that the care is is better. So I think that's definitely something that has to be part of of any kind of inquiry.
1: If the government mandates levels of staffing, I mean, for instance, saying you've got to have two RNs on at once and, and even mandates Pay levels uh, could that be a a proxy for saying we can't have any not for uh, any for profit homes, Jane?
2: Well, I mean, you know, even now um, the personal what were they called the envelope system. So anything that's for the nursing has to be paid for that. So it's not like that the profit is coming out of that nursing bucket. It's not. Um, It's coming out of another what would they call it other accommodation. So. I mean, that I think that the issue around hours and how much care is one of the things that really has to be looked at. And we really don't know how much um, care and what it costs to take care of the average person in Ontario. And that's a key thing that we really have to do. Um, you know, the government did sort of set up something prior to the um, COVID outbreak in response to the police uh, inquiry and uh, the wet law for murders. Uh, But it really wasn't sufficient. What we really need, what's one of the things that we really need to do is have appropriate studying. And some of that may have been done through, for example, the reimagining long term care study at a York university, where they're looking at what does it actually cost? Like, that's one of the things that we really don't know. Uh
1: another thing is you know there are a lot more retirement homes than long-term care homes and and people that live there are not necessarily equally vulnerable but but quite vulnerable and and some of them you know provide a stepped up care does it have to include the retirement home sector as well I mean I, I, there's no indication that it will Marissa It's a good
3: question um Certainly, Maison Heron, what we saw in Dorval, was a retirement home. It was one of your luxury retirement homes, not your, not the. you know, a lot of people I think assumed it was a, it was a part of the long-term care system. In fact, it wasn't. Um, so we do know, particularly in a pandemic, there are a number of reasons why viruses are so easily able to spread in congregate settings, um, and that definitely includes uh, the retirement home setting though and Jane would be able to probably speak about this a little bit more they are governed by different statutes um, so changing them would would be very you know you can't it's it's one thing to amend the long-term care act but then to to reflect that in the retirement sector would be would be a different piece of legislation Jane So, yeah,
2: I mean, uh, you know, retirement homes, I mean, they're all a bit of part and parcel of the same thing. And whether the inquiry would be large enough, I'm not sure. Um, You know, we have seen some huge outbreaks. Uh, There's one in Hamilton, I understand, right now, where they've actually cleared out an entire home. Um, You know, retirement homes are tenancies that's governed by landlord and tenant legislation, plus the Retirement Homes Act. But they have become quasi-long-term care homes. Um, and that's because we don't have enough long-term care. So we have a lot of seniors in the province who are living in long term in retirement homes, not because they really want to, but because there's no space in long-term care, and um, they're paying out of pocket for what they should be getting through their health care dollars. Uh, so those are issues. I think that one of the issues with retirement homes, one of the differences is that the vast majority of them, people would have their own rooms um, or suites, And so it it may not have had as much outbreak in many of those. Now, we certainly do have some that are in homes or what have you that may have had some outbreaks. But I think that for the most part, I think they've been able to keep it a little bit um, better because of the structure of those homes.
1: Mm -hmm. And Marissa, when all is said and done, we know that... Uh, at the beginning of this, a lot of people were moved from alternate level of care in hospitals into long-term care. Do you think that it will turn out that that was a big mistake? a Difficult
3: question to answer. Um, we do know that our hospitals were prioritized um, and we didn't uh, deliver or give the same level of priority to our long-term care settings. Um, and so you know, with some of the challenges that we've seen in long-term care. I mean, in some ways, the people that were in ALC beds, they were moved to the crisis list and they were placed into long-term care. Um, but those beds likely would have been filled anyway by other people on the crisis list. I do know that some homes are continuing to accept residents despite this pandemic. Um, so maybe it'll maybe it'll turn out to be, to have been the wrong move, but it might be too early to say at this point, you know, I'm not sure I could I can really answer that question.
1: Okay, so um, what is, uh, we're beginning to run out of time. So what's the bottom line on this, Jane? Well, I think what we have to do is we have to, uh,
2: you know, I think that, you know, any kind of commission is going to have several parts to it. Um, There are things that we do know, and the government can certainly move on those now. Um, I think there's things that we don't know, and those things need public hearings, and I think that's going to be very important that we hear all the voices because, you know, we don't really know what's going on in long-term care. We need to hear from the people on the ground there. Um, And, uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the things, one of the problems is exactly what nurses just said, is that, you know, they didn't look at uh, long-term care as being a problem, and yet that was, we already knew there were outbreaks in other provinces and states and other countries, Um, and it just wasn't put as a priority, and this is historically the problem, is that senior care is relegated to the bottom of the list in in a lot of things. Things that are, quote, acceptable in long-term care would never be accepted anywhere else. So I think that's something that has to change.
1: Okay, I'm going to take a very quick call from Pat, who's been waiting patiently before we wrap things up. Hi, Pat.
5: Good morning, good afternoon. I think the most important thing is to get the facts I mean we are hearing some generalizations about for profit versus not for profit. I think this comes down in many cases to management that's one of the things and that's what's got to come out in the inquiry uh, one of the other aspects I think the Ontario government oversight and well I have no experience with regard to Uh, This aspect of the government, I know from dealing with the environment, they are very slow, and a lot of times they just sort of sit back and let things happen. So I think there's probably some blame for the Ontario government. But lastly is the issue of who's going to pay for all of this. It all sounds great until it comes to who's going to pay, and then everybody is looking the other way. So okay. those are my thoughts. Okay, we do Pat. need to study, and we do need to the, the, the get to the facts.
1: Okay. Thanks for that, Pat. Uh, Marissa, I'm going to give you the last word.
3: Sure. Um, I guess what I would say is you know, what we've seen occur in long-term care is not the fault necessarily of this government, but the fault of successful, successive governments, in action um, and, 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 and and really, you know, I hope that this commission is not an excuse for the government to not to do anything in the meantime. Um, to Jane's point, doesn't preclude them from making steps in the right direction in terms of addressing some of the immediate needs. So there are things that we need to do now and then there are things that we need to do to future-proof long-term care and I'm hopeful that this commission um, will bring about that real change. Or at least we'll
1: be you know a step in that direction. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, this uh, is an ongoing thing, and we're going to be on them and at CARP and at ACE, I know that you will be holding their feet to the fire to make sure that uh, something happens. Thank you so much, Marissa Lennox and Jane Meis.: Thanks thank you. Okay. And uh, that is all the time we had for today.